Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Tired of your business's healthcare costs unpredictably increasing every year? Healthcare costs are typically a business's second or third line item expense. And if you're like most employers, it's an expense that's growing faster than your revenue. Luckily for employers, Novetta Health has the solution. Novetta Health is a full-service healthcare consulting firm with proven strategies to lower your healthcare costs by up to 30% or more. They operate on a fee-for-service model and never mark up any of their medical or pharmaceutical claims. None of your employees have to leave their doctor or pharmacist either. Their health captive and pharmacy benefit manager are the most cost-effective and transparent solutions in the whole country. What they do is not magic, it's just honest. So if you're tired of overspending on health insurance and want to learn more, visit outcomesrocket.health save for a free spend analysis to see how you too could save by switching to Novetta Health. That's outcomesrocket.health save for your free spend analysis. Outcomesrocket.health save. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Emmanuel Manny Fombu. He's a global commercial strategy and digital innovation leader at Johnson & Johnson. Dr. Fombu is a recognized authority on the convergence of digital technologies and healthcare. He's an award-winning and best-selling author, physician, keynote speaker, investor, entrepreneur, and medical futurist with over 10 years combined experience in clinical medicine, drug development, medical affairs, digital medicine, business development, and licensing, research, pragmatic trials, and product lifecycle management strategy in biopharmaceutical industry and private equity. There is a ton that this uh, leader is up to. Manny's current focus is on how the digital technologies can be leveraged to better measure healthcare-related products, real-world effectiveness and value. It's something that we're really kind of struggling to figure out and get on the same page on that value-based care and how can digital therapeutics and digital technologies deliver on that. He's also very focused on being able to design more comprehensive disease management systems in partnerships with digital health startups, health systems, payers, and providers. He's done a ton here, but what I want to do is welcome him first of all, and then open up the mic for Manny to fill in the gaps of the introduction. So Dr. Fumbu, Manny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a true pleasure. Now, what did I leave out in that intro that you want to share with the listeners? Well, uh, I think you did a fantastic job with Thank the you. intro, uh, but I think overall, I'm a physician that I have experience working in medical practice, and then I have been in industry in the field as a medical science liaison. I've worked on the private equity side of it. I've been in a startup company, uh, talking to payers, trying to uh, you know, get funding for a, a product. And I've also been on the big farmer side designing clinical studies and on the commercial side as well. So I, I feel like I've been around the industry and, and interacted with most of the stakeholders in, in the space. And uh, that's why I'm very passionate about uh, bringing about change to make sure um, everyone has value. Love it. Love it, Manny. And, and why did you decide to get into the healthcare sector to begin with? Well, my family is from uh, a Central African country known as Cameroon, which Cameroon... Uh, was named by the Portuguese, which stands for, uh, it was Rio dos Camaros, which means river of prawns. There's a lot of seafood in my country. Huh. <laughs> right? Very cool. So uh, growing up, there were only two options in life. Either you became uh, a doctor or you became a lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
those are the defaults. But over time, as I grew up, I was always uh, fascinated by the idea of solving problems, right? Mm -hmm. And naturally, I fell into biology. I wasn't necessarily like the greatest math student or the best chemistry student, but I was like biology because I felt like there was this mystery that had to be solved. So I was passionate yeah. about that and history and literature. But then uh, over time, I went to college and uh, ended up in medical school. And uh, at that time, my grandmother got sick and she had uh, heart failure. And I got really driven towards cardiology and heart failure because I didn't want other people to go through what my grandmother went through with heart failure and being that close to me, right? So I ended up yes. doing a specialty in heart failure. And that led me into another amazing world. And I'm here today. Man, that's awesome. What a great sort of meandering road driven by passion and, and sort of the things that you value most, your family. So now you're here. Share with us what you believe, Manny, is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda and how you're approaching it. Predictive medicine. In the industry right now, you hear a lot of people uh, talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those buzzwords, right? And people, when I watch, I mean, if I read comments on LinkedIn or other forums, everyone is talking about, is it AI real? Is Watson real? And all this. And I think everyone is missing the big picture. The big picture here is, Technology enables us to create a new form of medicine known as predictive medicine. And when I say predictive medicine, what do I mean? Predictive medicine to me is a field of medicine that focuses on predicting the probability of disease mm -hmm. and instituting preventive measures in order to either prevent the disease altogether. But if someone has a disease, how could we significantly decrease its impact on that patient? Right. Yes. And, and so to me, that's the best description of value-based healthcare as we talk about it. So let's let's put the cost and everything else on the side. But Predictive medicine, I think, is the future of healthcare, and that's what we need to focus on. Love it. Love the simplicity there. And, and I really like that you highlighted both, okay, you know, there's a segment of the population with chronic diseases uh, and conditions that we need to manage. Quality of life matters. And then those people that shouldn't be getting sick that are getting sick to begin with. So we'd love to hear from you, drawing from some of your experiences or ideas on things that you've done to create results by doing things differently. Correct. So uh, one of the things I'm very um, proud about in my career uh, is working on, on a particular study in heart failure. And the idea was to monitor patients remotely using devices, look at physical activity, to objectively capture quality of life, right? And so you know... In industry today, uh, what we depend on to determine patient quality of life is using questionnaires, right, which are based on recall. So you could ask a patient, how did you feel two weeks ago, right? Did you have more activity two weeks ago? Well, I couldn't tell you that what my activity was three days ago, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, so, and so I think this leads to uh, the idea of there's a lot of bias that comes into these answers. And think about disease in general. Why does someone take any medication and why does, when someone is sick, what is the best thing that they want? They want to feel better. <laughs> That's right. what they feel like, right? Yeah. And then I'm interested in if their blood vessels dilate or constrict and if the different genes are expressed or what. That's for the scientists. But for the patient, what matters to them is the improvement in quality of life. That's what matters. Yes. So I think we need to get back to that point and to that story and how do we objectively capture that? So, um, and I think uh, using devices, so, uh, we had a study using devices to track uh, daytime activity, nighttime activity, looking at sleep. But then at the same time, the key point was we did not want to use a sleep lab because that's not part of the real world, right? So right. people sleep at home. So we actually used the home sleep test, which was another challenge doing that. But we felt that was very convenient for the patient. We wanted to capture as much data as possible in the real world setting. And so we successfully executed that study and... Uh, uh, we published a, a methods paper on that, and I think it was fantastic on how we did it. It was a very great job by the team. And what we learned from this is 
from the data that we collected, we are able to then build predictive models that perfectly fits into this idea of predictive medicine, where we could actually say, hey, you as an individual patient, if we look at your activity levels or your lifestyle from baseline, and it's a change from baseline, we need to intervene to find out why that change is, right? And if there's something wrong, then we should intervene ahead of time. So that, to me, that was a very uh, great project. Yeah, that is a great project. And so you guys did a home sleep test. How about wearables? I mean, what are your thoughts on collecting data through wearables? Yes, we actually had a wearables in our, in our study. Actually, we had um, an. Act- oh, it was part of it. Yes, yes, we did. So we tracked daytime activity using uh, actigraphy, and we we use a different device to look at sleep. Nice, very cool, very cool. I love it, man. And you you called it right. I you know a couple months ago, I had a, a gentleman on my podcast who was in a bad accident, lost his memory, his short term memory, so he can't really remember things. And he started this company called Memory. And one of the things that he mentioned is that. <laughs> The unfortunate thing is that he lost his memory, but the fortunate thing is that he lost his memory because now he could remember things that I probably or you can't remember because there's just no way. Like you said, right? I don't remember how I felt like three days ago. Correct. And this wearables thing is really like, you know, to your point is going to be what helps us make these predictive medical decisions. It is quite fascinating, actually, if you look at the concept of wearables, right? And it's the next level of this. When we say wearables, a lot of times now, uh, we think of, you know, having like watches, you know, like a Fitbit or Apple Watch or something mm-hmm. like that that tracks you. But then if you also think about your cell phones, right? Just having a simple Apple phone. If you look at Samsung, yeah. other companies all have massive health departments. And my Apple phone, for example, tells me my step counts and tells me about my mm-hmm. sleep activity, right? Gives me feedback. So I think the idea of capturing the activity in the real world is going to definitely move away from the idea of thinking you have to have a physical device on you to something that is more advanced. Because at the end, what, what do we need? We just need that data, right? I was recently okay. over at the CES in Las Vegas, and I, oh, saw, yeah. I saw a very interesting company there that was able to monitor um, heart rate in infants while they were sleeping without any wearable whatsoever. They had a light that could use uh, ultrasound waves to actually measure heart rate. Interesting. Right, and activity. It's amazing, so, so huh? This, this is getting fascinating. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. Hey, what did you think of CES? I hear it's becoming more and more healthcare focused. It's incredible. I spent two days in Las Vegas for CES, and the first day I spent four hours down, going down just one aisle. Wow, so, really? That, that was healthcare. <laughs> yeah, the no, second day, really. the second day wow. I, I tried going through the second aisle and, and barely made it. Right? Uh, That's but awesome. The, but, but the interesting thing about this is when I was going to CES, I had one particular vision and company that I wanted to see. I was very interested in the idea of smart toilets, which is very weird. <laughs> no, I mean, no, it's kind of interesting, I guess, uh, in a lot of ways. But I want to hear your take. Correct. So I, I felt like one of the best ways to collect uh, samples for testing is through, is through the, the toilet, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, every day people, uh, you know, we pass urine. You wake up in the morning, most people go to the bathroom. So there's a lot of samples and testing that you could actually track, right? Um, mm-hmm. That is more internal that cannot be tracked by, by a wearable, correct? Totally. And, and, so, and so I was fascinated. I was curious if uh, what was happening in the consumer world, if uh, anyone was trying to leverage that or do something about it. So there was a company there that had like a smart toilet. So I tracked them down on my second day. Finally, I met with them. And to my biggest disappointment, they were not necessarily thinking about that in the U.S. market. He mentioned that they were doing something like this in Japan, like it was a mystery thing, and people tend to laugh about it. But then I realized maybe we need to bring more focus into this and say, hey, think about it. When you go to your doctors, for example, let's say you have to do a urine test. 
you have to get up. Then you don't, you can't pee all day. You have to go to LabCorp or Quest, and you have to sit there with your doctor's office. Then take a cup, go into a room, and then pee, and then well, all of that. You could just, which you could have just peed at home. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you could get the yeah. samples. So I think we need to start shying away from such things and, and actually see how we could incorporate things uh, and start thinking out. We all need to go to the doctor's office to necessarily get healthcare. Healthcare is part of our lives, right? So wherever we are, we should be able to be involved in health. Love it. And folks, uh, uh, CES is the consumer electronics uh, meeting. And the cool thing about this, and I think the reason why it is becoming more healthcare focused is because healthcare is becoming more consumerized. You got to start thinking outside the box here. If you're a provider, and even as as device and, and pharma companies, you really have to start thinking more from the consumer perspective. <laughs> Manny brings up some great examples, like with the e-toilet. I mean, that's a uh, fabulous way to think outside the box. So can you share with the listeners a time when you had a setback, Manny, and what you learned from it? How did it make you better? I've had multiple setbacks. Um, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's set, so I think all of them are around a certain theme. So a lot of times people like myself, yourself, and lots of other people in the industry or patients and everyone else, you hear this word called patient centricity, right? Mm -hmm. And being in the industry, the most frustrating piece for me is you have tons and tons of clinicians and scientists and everyone that work for pharma companies, device companies, biotech companies, the best minds are in there. But because of regulations and everything else, somehow they cannot interact with the patient, which I believe is the end consumer. And overall, we end up having like uh, this negative connotation about, oh, it's big pharma or it's big biotech or whatever it is. So a lot of times when we bring in concepts, uh, I feel every time I don't have a patient's voice involved in the development of any particular product, whether it's just clinical study or any campaigns that we do, I consider that a failure. So I've, it's my personal goal to make sure that patients are more incorporated into our discussions to make sure that we actually build in products that I get towards our consumer. I think it's a really important point that you're making. And just the whole idea of patient centricity, it's kind of silly, isn't it? It is very silly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you know, what we do. I mean, it's like, come on now. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I, I'll tell you a hilarious thing. I, I did a panel about, uh, I think about a year ago in Philadelphia for, I think it was an IFO Pharma uh, meeting. And it, I think the, the, the topic of the panel was, was uh, how could industry become more patient-centric? And everyone was going around the table. We have people from Amgen, from Eli Lilly, from, you know, Novartis, everyone else, right? To Bayer, yeah. everyone yeah. was there. And they had these patient-centric people. That was your job, right? And so they're talking about how we were becoming more patient-centric. And when it got to me and I said, I'm embarrassed that we are sitting here having this conversation about patient-centricity. What else are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what else? <laughs> I don't know if these are real topics or, or, or they're buzzwords that people get excited oh, about. Because man. when I wake yeah. up and I go to work every single day, I will tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind is how do we change the life of that patient, right? Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what matters to me, and I'm sure that will, that's what matters to you too and everyone else in the industry. Absolutely. No, it's great, man. Glad you're bringing that up. And, and so you've had a pretty cool career. You've done a lot of really impactful work. What would you say out of all the work you've done is one of the most proudest things that, that stands out? We took a product in the market. Uh, it was a, uh, a genetic test that could rule out, it could tell your risk of having a heart attack. And we went head to head with a nuclear stress test and would beat the nuclear stress test. And which means that patients were not being exposed to radiation, right? Especially females that have, if you have a chest pain, for example, and you have a family history of a heart attack or 
you get paranoid. You think you have a heart attack. You go to the hospital, the doctors do a nuclear stress test. And then in females, because of breast attenuation, or if you're obese uh, person, the nuclear stress test is usually unequivocal. So what happens is you get referred to get a, a calf done. Mm-hmm. And once you get a calf done, that comes with additional problems with it, right? Uh, you could get punctured vessels and everything else. And yeah. by the way, even if everything goes smoothly, at the end of that, you probably get a $25,000 bill, right? And so right. we said, how could we, what is the solution to this? And so we had a genetic test that brought in, uh, looked at mRNA, the gene expression, and we had age and gender. We had an algorithm, it's a blood test. Uh, we could take your blood and we could send the blood test down in San Francisco and we'd get your results back and we could predict your risk of having a heart attack. And it was way What's cheaper. What's the turnaround time? 48 hours. Awesome. Which is way better than, I mean, I wish we could get it at the point of care. That'd be much better. That's the next yeah. level. Of that. <laughs> that would be, right. yeah, that'd be the next step. But 48 hours is still really good. Uh, correct. And, and the test was run by robots, right? So we had robots nice. running the test and we had coverage around the country and the test is out there and people benefiting from this, right? So I, to me, that was a great idea of how do you cut down costs and bring value to the consumer. It was fantastic. What a great example, for sure. And, and how about now? What's, what's an exciting project or focus you're working on? I'll tell you what uh, I've learned that is fascinating me right now is the concept of human behavior, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh, tell me more. I've spent a lot of I, my, my career around cardiovascular disease, looking at like heart failure or hypertension and everything else. For, but I always had this, this view from a physiological perspective. And I realized from speaking to patients and from working in that space recently, that you could send all the alerts and everything you want for, to someone, but you, you have to look at that person as a whole, right? If you look at the idea of predictive medicine, the idea is to understand what happens to that person and how do you change their behavior. And mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. If you have been to St. Louis, uh, Missouri, there's a street there called Delma Boulevard. And there's a whole concept around the Delma Divide, where the northern part of the city basically has low, it's a low income part of the city, right? Uh, less educated people, home values are lower and they have less access to healthcare, right? And that yeah. comes along. If you've been to any neighborhood like that, you go down to Baltimore, right? Washington, D.C., where these are areas I lived in, right? Yeah. Or Chicago, where I live, is like that, yeah. Correct, right? It's just like Chicago, yeah. other places. If you look around those areas, you found out, if you go down to Baltimore, as a good example, it's a liquor store in every other block. You have fast food restaurants selling junk in every other corner. <laughs> the fried chicken places, everything is the liquor store. Everything is, that's what's in those neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the risk, the rates of cancer in the northern part of uh, the Delmar Boulevard and the southern part, which is more educated, more prevalent, more affluent, mm-hmm. you'll find out the rates of heart disease and cancer are five times higher <laughs> in the northern part than the southern part of that exact same city. Yeah. And so you realize there's more to things that we have to do, right? So it's more to behavior. And behavior comes along with your environment. So as we it look does. at... Correct. And so as we focus on looking at genetics of medicine and we look at physiological parameters and we look at everything else we want to look at from a scientific perspective, it's very important to look at environmental um, situations and look at behavioral things. How can we change patients' behavior and how can we make their environment much better? Yeah, I think it's a great call out, man, you know, and kind of uh, spans into how can we work alongside public health experts to work on solutions for population health? In general. No, correct. And this is real. If you look at cost, we talk about value-based healthcare. I just started our discussion today, right? If you look at value-based healthcare, if you look at the people that cost the most to a healthcare system, mm-hmm. they're not people that live in, in Palo Alto, people that live in Cambridge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's not where the most of the healthcare costs come from. But a lot of times, uh, how often do we actually step foot into where the patients live? And when I say patients, I'm not talking about patients that could travel to us for us to engage with. How much time do we spend in those communities where the patients don't have access, right? Because I think 
a lot of CEOs are talking about this now in Pharma, right? Like Vasco Novartis and things, these are public information. They talk about the biggest challenge for 2019 going forward is that it's access. Access yeah. to patients, right? The science is there. The drugs and devices are there to keep patients living. But no one has access. The problem is universal access. People don't have access to this to these things, right? So that's what we should focus on. Access to me is a, is a big, big, big thing. Love it. Yeah, and you know, it starts with the conversation. It starts with the project. Just starting is the key. It's execution is what leads to solving these problems. So I'm glad you're working on it, Manny. Working toward the end of our time here, time flies when you're having fun. This part of the podcast is a lightning round, so it's going to be quick answer, quick question, V101 of Dr. Manny Fombu on healthcare outcomes. And so I've got five questions for you, followed sure. by a book. You ready? All right. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Listen to uh, the patients, or the consumers, and uh, <laughs> when you design your products. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not listening. Making non-data-driven decisions. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You have to keep up with the times, otherwise you'll be left behind. What is one area of focus that drives everything in your company? People, I said people and culture. Finally, the last question is actually a two-part question. What is your number one health habit and what is your number one success habit? My number one health habit is trying to um, eat more veggies. <laughs> Love it. It's <laughs> a good habit. <laughs> trying, trying. <laughs> trying to get and uh, what's your next question? What's no and then uh, number one success habit. The number one success habit is uh, being open and engaging with my cross-functional partners at work. Love it. And what book would you recommend to the listeners? Just one or two. <laughs> you could have two. If you, if you have a burning desire for two, then let's go with two. Well, I think outside of my book. Which, by the way, let us know the title, and, and, and we'll also include it in the show notes. So by all means, um, sure. here's your chance for some self-promotion. Sure. <laughs> my book is called The Future of Healthcare, Humans and Machines, Partnering for Better Outcomes. So that's separate. But personally, there are two fascinating books uh, that I've read and I'm, I'm rereading currently. The first one is called Prediction Machines. The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence, uh, written by Josh Rogans and Avi Goldfarb and A.J. Agrawal. It's a fascinating book. Oh, okay. uh, and because what I love most about this book is it goes deeply into artificial intelligence and explains the whole concept of predictive medicine, but it relates it to everything else in life, right? So it's, it's a fascinating book. And the, next, the last book I will recommend is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Noah Harari. He also wrote Sapiens, but those two books are fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Hey, we had uh, we had a Jay uh, Agarwal on the podcast several months ago. You did, yeah, yeah. Prediction machines. I'll have to add it to the list. And uh, Sapiens is a good one, great one. I didn't know about twenty one. You said twenty one lessons. Twenty one lessons for the twenty first century. It came out about two months ago. Oh, okay. So, cool. so that that's his third one. That's because uh, he did Sapiens and he did uh, Homo Deus. That's right. That's right. And the, the third one is this one. Fantastic book. There you have it, listeners. I know I've added it to my list, but Prediction Machines, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, and also, of course, we'll include a link to Dr. Fumbu's book that he wrote. Listeners, please remember to get all of the uh, details, links to these books, a full transcript of our discussion. Just go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Manny Fumbu. That's F-O-M-B-U, and you'll find the entire episode there. Before we conclude, Manny, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch or follow your work. Correct. So my final thought would be that for all the listeners and, and, my, and for myself included, 
we need to stop uh, looking at, at health. When we say health, we think about sickness, right? We need mm-hmm. to look at health as a way of being, as a lifestyle, as opposed to looking at people, you're a patient and so you are sick and we focus on managing disease as opposed to just managing life, <laughs> right? Yeah. We are all patients, uh, we are all consumers, and we are all humans. So let's look at it that way, and I think uh, the stigma will disappear, and we will um, live happy lives. Beautiful closing thought, my friend. And what would you say the best place for folks to reach out to you or follow you is? Perfect. So the best place to reach me, uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, on the Emmanuel Fumbu, F-O-M-B-U, or you can also go to my website. I have My website is Emmanuel, with two M's, Fumbu.com. Outstanding. And we'll provide links to that in the show notes, folks. So be sure to check that out at outcomesrocket.health. And Manny, just a final thank you for uh, joining us today. It was uh, really a fun discussion. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.